want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. By the way, my name is Dan Song, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be together. Uh, so turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. If you don't have a Bible or if you don't have an electronic device with a Bible app, you could use a Bible that's provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And if you're using one of those, turn to page 2, 239, 239 of your church Bibles. And if you are, you know, wherever you are in your faith, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you. And uh, we'd love for you to ask the questions that you might have of Scripture and who this God is that we follow and put our faith in. But turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. And as you do, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started this morning. Lord, we give you thanks for this beautiful day that you call us into your presence to not only know who you are, but to be able to know that we are people who are received by you, not by anything that we've done, but because of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to your word as forgiven people, uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, transform our hearts, and make us more like you, so that, Lord, we might be able to not only love you, but love neighbor. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look into 1 Samuel 17 this morning, this is probably one of the most well-known stories, not only for Christians, but for those that are other than Christian. This story of David and Goliath is in our culture and referenced in so many ways. And probably the number one way that it is referenced is in what? Sports. Yes, sports. It's the, it's the David, the, the one that's the underdog, that's taking on the favorite, the powerhouse. I remember when Stephen was 12, his rec league basketball team played an AAU 12U team. You know, an AAU is like for those that are the best of the best. And for whatever reason, this AAU team played Stephen's team. And it wasn't David, this underdog, beating Goliath. They got slaughtered. I mean, they got decimated. And I felt so bad for each of the kids that were on Stephen's team. But we see this, right? The reference to David and Goliath is the underdog. One of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, wrote this book called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And he uses this premise, this story, to be able to put this, these essays together talking about all the underdogs that might have a disadvantage. But he argues that we shouldn't be surprised that David's sometimes beat Goliaths because there are unassuming advantages that we don't know about that actually give them the opportunities to sometimes beat Goliaths. Now, is that the point of chapter 17 and why the storyteller writes this story for not only Israel but for us. Is it all about the underdog slaying your Goliaths? I would argue no. In actuality, as we read this story this morning, this story is about faith. And the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is this What does faith? look like in the face of fear in insurmountable impossible situations like the israelites what does faith actually look like so we're going to start here in verse three now just to kind of catch us up to speed last week we saw david get anointed privately 
as the next king. He was the king after God's, or he was the king after God's own heart. Saul was, is on the decline towards disaster. And we see the Spirit of God rush upon David. And what do we see? He doesn't become king right away. He serves Saul. And he plays the liar to be able to bring comfort and relief to Saul, who's experiencing the spirit of torment and harm. And so here we are introduced last week to David, this young boy, this young lad, who is now going to be king over Israel probably 10 years from the time we left off from last week. But he has his first real challenge, which is Goliath. So read starting in verse, verse 3, and we, because of the length of this story or this chapter, we'll take portions. But we want to answer this question, what does faith look like in the face of of fears. Let's just, so read with me here starting in verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Jump down to verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with a great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So it shall be done to the man who kills him. Verse 31. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, stop here for a moment. As we set this setting up of this story, what you see here are two armies, two nations that are about to fight, right? You have the Philistines on one side of a hill and Goliath screaming and yelling and taunting. And then you have Israel on the other side of the hill. And in between these two armies is this valley of Elah. And in this Valley of Elah, this isn't the kind of battle or fight that we've been accustomed to in 1 Samuel. It's not like these two armies come and meet at the bottom of the valley to fight. Rather, what do we see here? 
We see for 40 days, every single day, Goliath come out to taunt Israel and say, choose a man for yourselves and let him come out and fight me. If he wins, we will become your servants. But if you win, we will be your servants. Forty long days, this Goliath comes and screams and challenges Israel to this battle. Now, what do we see described in most of what I just read? You're descri- you're, you read this description of Saul or of Goliath and his physical nature and what he's wearing. The way that the units are described here, if you, tra- if you translate that, he's about nine and a half feet tall. Now, some historians, some critics will say that he was probably more in the range of eight, eight and a half feet tall. Now, whether it's nine and a half or eight feet, this man is ginormous. Goliath is huge. The largest man I ever met was actually here in St. Louis while my wife and I were having dinner. And it was this small little place where, you know, you sit next to the people and it's just a little too uncomfortable because you could hear every single conversation happening. This man and his wife, he was about 6'10", and he was over 300 feet tall. And immediately I'm telling my wife very quietly, he's got to be an NFL player. He's got to be a Rams player. I mean, he was ginormous and large. And it also helped when I looked at the wife's ring that it was also the largest diamond ring I've ever seen in my life. And sure enough, it was Jake Long, drafted number one in the 2008 draft for the NFL. And I tell you now, though I was not scared eating dinner next to him, if he ever stepped up in front of me and challenged me to a fight, I would cower. I would be afraid for my life. And this is Goliath, not just in physical stature, but in what he was wearing. Because this was the Iron Age, he was covered from head to toe in bronze. And from his helmet to his armor to his armor for his leg, he weighed, the, the armor that he wore was about 125 pounds. He could carry 125 pounds on him. And he also had a javelin. And the spearhead of iron was about 15 to 16 pounds of weight. Now just imagine you standing before this man. You would be afraid. This is the plight that Israel and King Saul were in. He was not only powerful and strong physically, but he had the latest technology And he was the most self-confident man on earth in that moment. So confident that he could defy not only Israel, but he could defy their God, Yahweh. Forty days straight, he taunted and ridiculed God's name. In verse 11, how do Israel and Saul respond? When Saul, this is their king, And Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. And if you go to verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw this man, they fled from him and were much afraid. This was Goliath and the setting in which Israel is in. But in Goliath's mocking and his taunting, David shows up, not to fight. David's the youngest of eight 
of Jesse's sons, right? Or Jesse's sons. And he was too young to fight. In Numbers, in the book of Numbers, you have to be at least 20 years old to be in the army. So he was younger than 20, probably in his teens. And why did he come to the battle line? To deliver grains, cheese, and bread. He brought lunch to his seven older brothers who were going to fight. And as he brings lunch to his brothers, in God's providence, he hears Goliath taunt and ridicule their God. Now you have to pay attention here. Because as I said last week, David is probably one of the most important characters in all of Scripture, littered throughout, from the Old Testament to the New. And this is the first time he speaks. This is the first time we hear words come out of his mouth. And what does he say? Read verse 26 with me. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then in verse 32, when Saul brings him into his chambers, he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Do you see the difference between Israel, the nation, and Saul and David? On one hand, you have a nation that is scared out of their minds. And on the other hand, you have little David, a young teen, say, I will come and fight Goliath. You see, what is happening in the world is more than what we can just see with our own two eyes. And that is the difference between David and the people of Israel. The people of Israel can only see what is before them, Goliath. Insurmountable odds, impossible odds. David, on the other hand, what does he see? In the midst of the physical, material world, he sees what? A living God. And that brings me to my first point. We, as God's people, what we need to do is we need to have faith that sees a God-saturated world. That is what faith looks like. Faith is able to see a God-saturated world. Do you remember, do you remember that thing that, I don't know how long ago it was, but it, it, it became viral. It was that dress. The black and blue dress or gold and white dress. And though, I mean, everyone argued about what they saw. Now we realize it was actually a black and blue dress and I was right. <laughs> but many people saw a white and gold dress. Why? Well, who cares why? But what the, the, what's interesting about that is that when you, everyone saw the same exact thing and yet they saw it differently. And here Israel sees the exact same thing, the same exact setting, and yet Israel and David see it completely different because David sees faith as one that sees a God-saturated world, a living God that is operating, working in the midst of whatever seems dire and impossible. That's faith. In the face of fear, he has a faith that is able to see God, the living God at work, and that's why he's able to go to battle. 
even as a little teen boy. Eugene Peterson, when he talks about this story, this is what he says. He says, they see the same facts in the Valley of Elah, but they interpret them differently. The Israelite mind is impressed with size and power. The David mind is attentive to God. When David showed up at the camp that day, Goliath dominated the scene. The huge giant twirling his 15-pound spear with the careless ease of a cheerleader twirling her baton was completely intimidating. His taunts across the valley, teasing, provoking the Israelites, each day made each man a little more of a coward. Goliath, his size, his brutality, his cruelty centered their world. But David, David entered the valley of Elah with a God-dominated imagination. He was incredulous that everyone was cowering before the infidel giant. Weren't these men enlisted in the army of the living God? God was the reality with which David had to deal. Giants didn't figure largely in David's understanding of the way the world worked. You see, in other words, when things look insurmountable, dire, impossible, what do you see? Do you see a world that is saturated with the living God? Or do you see just whatever's in front of you? I know many of us are going through difficult situations, family situations that seem so impossible. Children, grief that seems like never ending in your own story. Marriages that are on the brink of falling apart. You're getting so much criticism at work that you don't know if you're going to be able to continue in your job. There's so many situations that we find ourselves in, but do you just see with your two eyes or do you see with faith that God is saturated in this world? I just went with my kids to the Great River Drive along the Mississippi River yesterday. And could have easily been where we just go, this is beautiful. But I made it a point as I thought and reflected on this sermon that I had to keep saying, this is God's beauty. Let's thank God for what he has given to us, that no matter what we go through, even in this little thing, this gift that we get to go on on this drive, we have so much to be thankful for, for what God has done for us and given to us. You see, can you just see the beautiful colors and the foliage, or do you see the God that is behind it, orchestrating, creating, moving so that no matter what we experience and face we see faith as one where god is saturated in our world that is not just this closed world to the transcendent but the transcendent has broke through and no matter the dire evil situation the darkness we experience we can see with faith but let's move on here. That's the first thing we see. There's another thing we learn about what faith looks like in the face of fear. Now, Saul, Sam, David volunteers to come and fight. So Saul puts, whoa, Saul, excuse me. Saul puts on all this armor and dresses up David. But David goes, I can't do this. And so David takes off all this armor and he gets his staff which he uses for as a shepherd. He takes a slingshot and he takes these stones, these round, smooth stones, and he walks into the battle line in the Valley of Elah. Follow with me here in verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward 
and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. But the Philistine said to David, And by a dog that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The second thing that we see about what faith looks like in the face of fear is not only do we have to see Faith see with God-saturated, a God-saturated world. But secondly, faith sees a champion that fights for us. Faith sees a champion that fights for us. Now here in the story, I don't know if you, you caught this. This is a battle between David and Goliath. And yet, do you know how many verses talk about the actual battle? Two. Two short little verses. Why? Because that's not the climax. The climax is David's speech. Verse 45 through 47. Did you, did you read this? You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, and then they fight. You see, the climax is here. The battle belongs to the Lord. And what we see here is that this is all about God's name. This is all about God's honor. And David fights to be able to bring honor and glory to God. This battle is all about the Lord. The Lord is the one who brings victory, not by shield, not by spear, not by javelin. But God himself is the victor. When David talks to Saul, and Saul says, how can you be the one that fights Goliath? David talks about how in, as a shepherd, he defeated and killed lions and bears. And what does he say? He says, as the Lord delivered me, God the Lord will deliver me to beat Goliath. You see, 
David here is God's champion. Now we have to think about what this champion is. It's in scripture here and what we read. I've been using the word champion a lot, but champion literally means the man between. In other words, it's someone that stands in the gap between the people and their enemy. The champion will be their representative for their people and for God. So instead of a huge battle like we talked about, right? You have the Philistines and you have Israel. You bring a champion that will stand between, who will be their representative and fight. And whoever wins takes all. Now who should have been Israel's champion? We know Philistine's champion. 40 days they were reminded of their champion. Who should have been is actually a better question. Who should have been Israel's champion? Saul. Their king, not only with his role, but physically, remember when he was anointed as king, he was a head taller than all of Israel. He was their tallest man. He fit the bill of someone who would be the champion. And does he? Is he? No. He cowers. He's afraid like the rest of his army and his troops. He's so afraid that he abandons and neglects his role and he tries to pawn it off by saying, I'll give you my daughter as your wife. I'll give you all the riches of the world and I'll free you from any taxation for the rest of your life. (coughs) He abandons his role as their champion. And who stands in the gap? Little David. This team. David is the one who stands in in the gap as their champion and fight for them. You see, in Sunday school and in sermons, you know what the question always is or many times is? It's, who is your Goliath? Who are you going to slay? But that's the wrong question. You know why? Because that presupposes that we identify ourselves with David. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that we are not to identify with David, but rather we are to identify with Israel. The Israelites who are at the top of the hill, afraid, so afraid, so dismayed, looking at the situation and feeling like this is insurmountable, this is darkness, we will get slaughtered. That is who we are to identify with. And our job here is to be like the Israelites that Don't identify with David, but we look to David. We look to the champion who fights for us in insurmountable situations, in places where we feel like we have no hope. And we look to that champion, and that's what faith is. Faith sees a champion that will fight for us. (laughs) And for us, we don't look to David, but we look to the one who is greater than David. The one who came from the line of David. The Lord, our Savior, our King, Jesus. The Lord, our God, who fights, who delivers and saves. To put our faith in the one who saves. Why? Because he has already saved. This is the one we are to look to. Our faith is called to see this champion who fights for us, not just any enemy, not just any Goliath or any giant, but 
The one that David could never slaughter, that could never destroy and win. Sin. Sin that Jesus conquered on our behalf. He doesn't just go into the valley of Elah. He doesn't just go into the valley of the shadow of death. He goes into the valley of death itself and dies on our behalf and rises victorious for us. This is the one we are to see. And he doesn't bring a sword and shield. Rather, he takes a sword upon himself who was pierced for our transgressions and now offers us forgiveness, offers us life, offers us victory. This is what faith looks like in the face of fear. Faith calls us to see a God-saturated world, but also to see the champion Jesus who fights for us and delivers us and saves us and has already saved us. The whole encounter, the intent of this counter, encounter is to make clear for us that Yahweh God is the one who saves. Not with spear, not with sword or javelin, but in the name of the Lord of hosts. You know, Malcolm Gladwell I argue, isn't right that this is a story that we're supposed to take and say it's all about being about the underdog and about what Goliath we're to slay. But you know, I think he had something right, which I don't think was his intent. He argued, as I said, that there's always these advantages that are unassuming that we don't know about and why sometimes Goliaths win. Well, for the gospel and for scripture and the God that we follow, it's not in the conventions of this world that we find our advantage. It's in weakness. It's in death. It's in what seems like insurmountable odds because the advantage we have is not our own faith, but the faith in one that we put in, in our champion Jesus. Look to him. See him. And no matter what you face, we know that we can experience hope contentment and joy even in the midst of the sorrows and grief and loss that we experience let's pray our heavenly father we come before you this morning and we thank you for our champion jesus that it does not depend on what i do or don't do what successes or failures i have and accomplished or not but only because of jesus our champion who has fought and been victorious So Lord, help us to set our eyes on you. Help us to see the things that this world cannot see, that you are the living God, active and moving in our world. So bring us hope. Give us encouragement, even as we come to the table, that it will be our strength, it will be our hope, our joy, as we look to our champion here at the Lord's table. Do that good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.